How are you doing in this cruel world? I heard about Nikki. That's tough luck. But there's still a good 50% of a chance that he's alive and well. The Middle East is known for airmen walking home. That letter arrived in 1943 at Nick Udell's home in Morden, Manitoba. It was written by a friend who was also serving in the Royal Canadian Air Force, and he wrote it to Udell's grandparents to give them hope, just a few months after Nick Udell's bomber was shot down by the Germans over Tunisia. Udell had been a pilot. The Air Force eventually confirmed that all six crewmen on board had been killed. Nick was the son of immigrant Jewish parents from Russia. He'd been a gifted photographer, and when he was killed at age 26, he left behind a grey, hand-painted box full of hundreds of his film negatives. They depicted everyday life in Morden, but also in the north end of Winnipeg, where he went to high school. Udell's family have saved that box all this time, and now, thanks to one of his cousins, the war hero is receiving his own exhibit posthumously at the Manitoba Museum. It's called The Lost Expressionist. The Images themselves are filled with a kind of joy and a kind of sensitivity to life at that time. They are truly authentic in feeling. And that, to me, as an artist, is remarkable because so much of what we see now is kind of manufactured. Even his self-parts, they have none of the um, slickness of today's Instagram images. They're really very honest I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, July the 19th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Nick Udell was one of the 450 Canadians of Jewish faith who died in uniform during the Second World War. He'd been working in his family's clothing store in Morden before he enlisted in 1940, and at the time, he told the Air Force recruiters that he hoped to run his own photography business or work in photo finishing when the war was over. Instead, he died on a bombing raid against German General Erwin Rommel's forces in Tunisia. Coming up, we'll speak with Nick Udell's cousin, Celia Rabinovich, in Winnipeg, about why she kept a promise to her late father to do something with Nick's box of pictures. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. Bonjour, c'est Karen Aflalo, la nouvelle présidente de la Communauté séfarade unifiée du Québec, et voici la voix de la communauté juive au Canada. Do you remember we did a story in May when we interviewed a Montreal couple, Dan Goldstein and his wife, Liat? They were the couple that saw a Jewish man carrying an Israeli flag being beaten up by two men right after the city's Independence Day rally. They called police and then Dan Goldstein ran over to help. Anyway, if you missed the interview with them, the link is in our show notes. But the reason I'm telling you is because now Montreal's Jewish community says local police have made an arrest in the assault and the hate crime. The arrest apparently happened last week. Montreal police aren't yet releasing the name of the suspect. Goldstein says he's grateful to hear the news of the arrest, and Federation CJA head Yair Zlack praised the city's police for their professionalism. And joining me now from Winnipeg is Celia Rabinovich. How did you discover that he was a great photographer? Well, Nick Udell was raised with my father's family. He was my father's first cousin. His mother had died when he was two. And his father, who, uh, because he had to run a business in Winnipeg, he brought him to live with my father's family in Morden, Manitoba. After Nick died, my father uh, kept his box of negatives. Nick had prepared those as an entire archive before he left for the war. And it wasn't until 
probably I was in art school, but my father told me about Nick and showed me the archive. And he said to me, these were Nick's. Do you think you could do anything with them? But right. not everyone cares about history. And there's always somebody in a family that it, you light up and you go, oh, my God, what was your reaction when you opened Nick's box? Well, I was 19 when I first opened Nick's box and I looked at a few negatives and they were of landscapes. And I thought I, I didn't know what to do with them. But later, as a painter, I began working with archival photographs. And because I knew about the box, I thought when I finally got some research money, that it's time to really find out what's in it. Um, so I began scanning the images and they were a complete surprise. They fell into themes that told me about his life and the life of people around him in Morden, Manitoba. They were just so remarkable that I felt I was meeting another artist and I felt that he needed to have this exhibition to show the world who he was, to show the complexity of one person's life and how really how destructive war is, because this was an amazingly gifted, uh, adventurous person who had a great sensitivity to life. And that's all there, fully present in the photographs. What did your family ever say about him? I mean, you never met him, of course, but, you know, what is his legends and family, the stories people told about him? The only one who seemed to know anything about Nick was my father. No one in his uh, extended family, like his Nick's sister and brother knew a thing about him. They just had a picture of him in his uniform. I think after the war, no one wanted to talk about their losses because everyone experienced piercing losses and they just wanted to move on. He was very sartorially stylish. He was sort of a fashionista in a way, from what I can see. Well, my father's family were all like that because they had Rabinovich brothers in Morden, Manitoba, that was actually started as my grandfather's store in 1893. And then my father opened his own store in 1929 at the start of the depression. So they carried um, dry goods like clothing for farmers and tip top tailors and sartorially beautiful clothing. And they all liked that. Plus you have to remember they were watching movies, uh, film noir, um, stylish movies of the 1930s where people had a bit of swagger and attitude and they copied that. They, they liked it. They emulated it. In fact, they were it. They were all like movie stars. They were all amazing people. And then he joins, he goes to high school. First of all, where did he go to high school? He went to St. John's Tech High School, which is a very famous high school in Winnipeg. A lot of amazing people come out of it. Obviously, he became impassioned about it. And there's a beautiful photograph of him holding a camera on the steps of St. John's Tech High School. And he looks absolutely thrilled and delighted to see himself as a photographer. And he just continued doing portraits of his friends in high school from every community, from the rural community. Um, he and my father used to drive out to make deliveries of shoes and clothing to various country stores. So they knew people in Carmen and Morris and Winnipeg and Lac du Bonnet and Rose du Lac. So there's photographs from the entire region. Now that's absolutely remarkable because as a colleague of mine in Berkeley, who's an anthropologist told me, we, we don't know what people did in their everyday lives in the 1930s. We know about fascism and the rise of 
World War II and things like that, but we don't really know what they did every day. And now we have a much better idea because Nick documented everything that people did. Give me two examples of photos that of everyday life. He shows what people did for leisure. They would read books. They would play music. Uh, they often would drive out to the country and just fool around. Um, my father had movies of them uh, running around eating a box of chocolates outside. Obviously he said, you need to move. <laughs> so um, they have uh, photographs with their pets or animals, sometimes outside of Morden, sometimes with a rifle, sometimes posing as gangsters. You've got uh, girls with a great deal of attitude smoking cigarettes in apartments in the Panama Court apartment blocks. I would say probably 50% of the people he went to school with were Jewish. So we have portraits of many of them. We also have portraits of uh, Jewish boys who enlisted uh, in the military in World War II. Um, there are some movies of Shabbat dinners in Morden with children running around and candles being lit. And those are quite exceptional. What feeling does it bring you to know that you have been able to now give his work a second life? Oh, well, for me, it really was a labor of love because as an artist, I recognize the soul of another artist. You know, my initial intention was that well, if there's some interesting archival photographs, I'll build some paintings out of them and, you know, I'll see if they can enhance my work. Well, once I started scanning them, I said, he's an artist. These are amazing things. And on top of that, he's an artist with themes. He has themes of play, of leisure, of portraits. He does an entire series of self-portraits, which is really remarkable and very much in tune with contemporary art practices. Only he's very introspective and the self-portraits are quite penetrating. He does uh, experimental photography using double exposures, flashlights, interesting lighting. So to go back to your question, how did I feel about it? Well, I felt I'm confronted with the soul of another artist whose life was cut short, you know, fighting for freedom in World War II, who really... Um, had simply disappeared from the face of the earth. And I thought he needs to live again. He needs to be recognized. He had a huge life. By the age of 26, he'd already had an amazing life. But as a Canadian uh, boy sent over to Europe, first to Driffield and then to uh, Tobruk in Egypt, uh, to secret numbered locations in the Middle East, and he arrived there right during the second battle of El Alamein. So he was under General Montgomery and then they were moved around. We don't know exactly where we, they were. They were in, it just gives numbers on his military papers, which I have. Um, then he was flying out of Malta and they were bombing Nazi supply lines to stop uh, Rommel's uh, encroaching on the Mediterranean uh, when he and the entire crew, so there were six men who perished. He's a Canadian war hero. He has a number of medals. There's a lake named after him in northern Manitoba. I mean, he was a remarkable person. And what's even more remarkable is that people knew almost nothing about him. Did your father also serve? No, my father didn't serve. He was too old at the time. He was 10 years older than Nick. How did the loss obviously affect him? He kept all of, of your cousin, your cousin, second cousin, stuff all the, these years. 
So do you know how, how he felt about, about Nick? I think he loved him deeply. You know, my, my father was a man of few words. So obviously Nick was still for him living in those negatives and those images. And he felt they had a great deal of value. The same with his magazines. I mean, who would keep, you know, 80 magazines for over 75 years. And the only thing he said to me, and I think it was a command from the past when I was in art school, we're in the basement and he's showing me this box, which is put away in a damp basement. And he said, uh, these were next. Do you think you could do anything with them? That was it. So the exhibit is on at the Manitoba Museum, but if you can't get there in person, just go to our show notes and see the link to the show and the website. By the way, they've never found Nick Udell's body, or any of his crewmates for that matter. His name is listed on a memorial column in Malta's capital city of Valletta, and I've actually been to it a couple of years ago to pay my respects. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Lindy Outred of Toronto. She really liked Monday's show about the mother of the murdered university professor, Dan Markell. And we'll end the episode with this clip from Monday's funeral in Israel for the late, longtime rabbi emeritus of Toronto's Holy Blossom Synagogue, Dom Marmer. He died on Sunday in Jerusalem. He was 87. And the current Holy Blossom rabbi, Yael Splansky, traveled to Israel to speak at the funeral. Died on the day our calendar calls us to remember how the tablets of the law were shattered at Sinai, how the Tamid sacrifice was no longer offered up in Jerusalem's first temple, and how the protective walls of the second temple were breached. The day Dov Marmer breathed his last was a day of collective loss and vulnerability. Without his insightful teaching of the law, we are diminished. Without his steadfast service and sacrifice, we are diminished. Without his fierce and loving protection, we are diminished. 24 years ago, Dove invited me to come to Toronto to be his assistant rabbi. I went to learn from the best, from the Gadol Hador, to learn how he took Reform Judaism and Reform Zionism seriously, how he took congregational life and Shabbat seriously, how he took God seriously. At his retirement party in 2000, Rabbi Marmer said it was more important to him to be admired than loved. So I come today as a shlicha to deliver the boundless admiration, gratitude, and yes, love also from thousands of congregants, students, colleagues, and friends from abroad. 